This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the Friday Football Social with me, Darren Fletcher and Jermaine Genus. Now, it should be fascinating this next half an hour or so, Jay, as we take a look at the world of football analytics. It's impossible to ignore the number crunches these days. Well, it is this whole kind of moneyball system. Um, you know, it's, it, it's crept its way in, obviously, from from uh, the League of Baseball, where we're <laughs> so famously... Uh, so successful and it's trying to find its way in the world of football now. So um, yeah, there's a couple of teams that obviously tried it. Uh, Michelin's were very successful at it and Brentford are giving it a go as well. So it's just whether it can happen right at the top for me. I'm not sure it can. Well, let's try and find out, shall we? I'm delighted to say we've been joined by Ted Knutson, co-founder of the football website Statsbomb and the former player analyst at Brentford and FC Michelin, the two clubs that Jermaine's just mentioned in Denmark. Hello, Ted. Hi, how are you? Uh, very good, thank you. So what is a football analyst and what do you look to do to get all these numbers? My work focused mostly on, on statistics. We used uh, a couple different data sets, but primarily the, the Opta data set. And they track event-based data across something like 35 different leagues in, in the entire world. And more and more, we're seeing the the Premier League are are struggling to find top talents. And a lot of places, the the more places you're able to recruit from, potentially the better players you can find. And it's interesting to see, like even some of the Asian players coming into the Bundesliga that they gradually make their way over here. We're we're finding that that these are still good players. So like the world has a lot of players that we can turn up. Statistics make that a little bit easier. Okay, so I, I kind of get how this works in baseball, where you have a static situation that you analyse over a period of time and you get probability and you get numbers and that tends to be something that works really well. How does it work in a game that moves all of the time when you potentially don't know what the role of an individual is at any one time during that particular move that you're trying to break down? Well, there's some complexity and much more so than, than originally in baseball, but we're starting to get a handle on that. It's pretty easy to profile attackers. They mostly have they have similar jobs. We can find out you know, what a David Silva or a Mesut Ozil looks like versus maybe an Edinson Cavani or uh, an Ibrahimovic. And we're able to, to find guys in often in lower leagues or guys that are younger that sometimes 
say Paulo Ferreira was on earlier and he's got a huge loan system, they'd be able to, to use the t- statistics to track their players and get a better idea than just watching them in those leagues and say, okay, this is what he looks like here in this year. Maybe the next year we can find out a little bit better about where we might place him or whether he's ready for the first team. And for Chelsea, that's always a huge ask. All right, Ted, would you, would you use this system to buy players without even watching them then? No, we always watch the players. Like, not necessarily in person. We do. We did a lot more video work, partly because that was both of the clubs don't have huge budgets. But we also find that uh, there's research by sort of Kahneman Tversky and the the latest Michael Lewis book talks about both of those guys. And uh, some of the people in the NBA found that by having their scouts watch players live, they become much more attached to them, and also they were much more likely to have the live results and how a player played in a single game or a couple of games override their entire season results where they've done 20, 30, 40 hours worth of work to analyze these players. How, how within this, this, these analysis, or these analytics, sorry, do you analyze character or leadership? Uh, we use background checks and, and reports on personality and, and leadership from former teammates, former coaches. I mean, it's references basically yeah exactly like you're you're looking to spend tens of millions of, of yeah. pounds on a player you need to do your due diligence and this is actually fairly standard practice in in a lot of the u.s leagues here i think that it's just starting to sort of come to the fore and it's not that widely used but i suspect it will be more so in the coming years so where do you where do you get the info from how do you process it what, what how does that all work when you sit down and you've got a a job to do for Michelland or brentford or anybody else how, just take us into your world and how all of that works. Where do you go? What do you do? How do you get it? How do you process it? What's the formula? How does it work? Okay, so we get the, the game data in a, in a file, and usually it's an XML file. This is going to be a little bit boring, but I'll try and go fast. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and we use computer code to, to process that, to, to parse it into a database, and then we but use what the... are you getting at the outset? So what are you getting at the start? It's a it's a file. Like, yeah, but in, what is it? What what's in the file? I mean, sorry, is it sorry, a video of a game? Is it so? Is it, is it is it like a pro zone? Is it like Opta? What is it that you? So getting? even even on Sky or, or any of the broadcasts right now, there are there are people who are doing this live, and the, the stats that you see at halftime are based on people tracking that information throughout the course of the game. Yeah, and we can do that at any particular point. So you'll see that live during the broadcast. That happens from from the data companies, and like I said, in our case, it's Opta, and then also TrackAb have tracking data that we see like the the sprinting stats and and the distance covered and stuff like that which i know having talked to jermaine a couple of years ago he he actually understands that part of it because i believe they used it in some of his former clubs he looks baffled by that <laughs> <laughs> so he's never spoken to you before I, no, uh, i've got to be honest <laughs> i am a bit surprised Ted. yeah where, 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 where was this remind me please we, we i apologize a, we were on a, a transfer ignorance. deadline day and okay. uh, it was with uh, you and i believe phil neville and had a uh, some, oh, some the BBC. About high intensity stats or Here high intensity go. sprints oh the bbc was this basically yes sir oh right yes i i i, I the way you said it was like i was at a club or something so oh, I, no, no, I, no. I got a little bit confused there apologies. My, my apologies um yeah i mean how many clubs are actually using it do you think so it's it's kind of interesting like um it's a it's a bit in the stage of baseball where plenty of clubs have statistics. Whether they're actually applying it is the interesting question, and how they're applying it. Arsenal are doing it in depth, and we know that Liverpool are actually quite detailed in their usage as well. Uh, I believe that City are doing it somewhat, and then it kind of filters down. Um, some of the the Championship clubs are more likely to do it because they're looking for an edge and they don't have massive budgets. And then some of the clubs in Europe are starting to to come around to it. I've I've consulted with three different Champions League clubs that. 
uh, over the last couple of years that are definitely in in progress. I can't name them, but you know, at least one of them is still in the the Champions League uh, running right now. So, so if I said to you, look, if, if I'm a if I'm a, a football chairman or a, or a manager, and I want some assistance from you, but I'm skeptical, what would you say to me in terms of look? I'm pretty confident that I can deliver X, which will help your club. What is it that you are convinced that you can deliver that would make their preparation and ultimately their results better? So we have three different areas that we focus on. One of them is recruitment and just avoiding mistakes in recruitment is the single biggest thing that you can do to kind of prolong or use your money better in football. We see what happened at Liverpool when when their recruitment went wrong and we actually looked at it and said that's kind of confusing because they said they were using stats but I'm not sure that they end up recruiting the same players that we would looking backwards. So recruitment is a big one and avoiding mistakes just as simple as that means that you'll often have 10, 20, 30 million pounds to spend next year or on better players. That's one area. We also do it for opposition scouting, which is pretty important. And we're able to, to kind of profile game plans a little more accurately. Also to, to shortcut the work cycles for the analysts, because so many times, like in the championship or even in the, in the, the games in the Europa League and the Champions League, you only have a short turnaround and having better information that allows the analysts and the coaches to work faster and concentrate on other stuff means that they'll be able to produce better analysis and maybe your game plans will be a little better. And then finally, we use it to, to look at sort of self-scouting and sometimes to look at predicted lead tables to find out where teams are more likely to finish uh, because these have a big impact at the executive level. And we look at it at the moment, there are lots and lots, or it's a growing number of American owners around Europe at at big clubs and small clubs. Are they more likely to use this kind of system because it's what happens in the US more so than maybe a European owner or an English owner? Are they more invested in what you do and what you can provide because they've seen it in other major leagues in the US? In some cases, but I don't think that it's it's just the American owners. I think it's mostly the the non-traditional English owners. It's a bit like the, the director of football style that exists on the continent and actually most other places, but it's it's been slow to t- take on here. I think more and more we're finding that, that football is so massive and there's so much money involved in it that the traditional manager... Is a, is a massive role, and he doesn't have the time to do worldwide recruitment along with doing the day to day, and also the media commitments and and you know basic coaching type stuff. And so we're finding that that Germany, even France, like the the forward thinking clubs that that have often talked to American owners in other sports, are the ones that are saying, okay, this is we've seen that those clubs that took it on early in those other sports, they had a huge advantage for a really long time. They were able to maintain that. If we're able to do that now, we should be able to have something similar, hopefully, in football. And in some cases, it's starting to happen. Uh, There was a recent article that we published about Arsene Wenger, and should they have possibly won a title over the last 12 years? The answer was, yeah, probably, but it's actually more impressive that they probably finished in the the top four all 12 years in a row. And I know for a fact that that they definitely use that DNA, and and they've helped them in hopefully making fewer mistakes, but also in just maintaining a, a high level at a much lower budget than, say, a City or even a Manchester United. How much skepticism do you find? There's definitely skepticism, but I think there's a lot more openness now than when I started this three years ago. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I covered FC Michelland a couple of seasons back and they played Southampton in the Europa League and knocked them out. And that was my first real experience of how they'd used this kind of analysis and this kind of work to win the Danish league. Um, and the manager quit, didn't he, at the end of the season over the fact that he couldn't manage in a more hands-on way because 
it was a statistic statistic based system that they were using. Just talk us through that and how it worked and why it was so successful in Denmark and the kind of things that Micheland used to make sure that that this worked best for them. So the first thing that I worked on uh, for the the football clubs was a set piece program and. What we realized was that set pieces are are pretty highly undervalued. And there were a couple of clubs out there that were doing really impressive work under the radar. You don't want to tell people about your edges. And so if you're good at corners, like you should probably keep it quiet. Atletico Madrid had a couple of years where they were scoring basically three goals in every four games, so 0.75 goals a game, just from set pieces. And then there's a, a coach in Italy named Gianni Vio. He worked at Fiorentina, and I think in Fiorentina they had something like 24 goals in, in a season, uh, again, simply from set pieces. Now, if you can score even half a goal a game from set pieces, how, do, how much does that cost for a striker? That was kind of what we looked at. And so that was, if we can spend, the other thing that happens is you walk inside of a football club and you ask them, how much time do you spend each week training set pieces? And in many cases, they said, well, we spend about 10 minutes at the end of the week just on the defense that we want to do for like corners or things like that. Now, set pieces end up between 25 and 30% usually every single year of goals scored across the league. If you're spending 5% of your training time for something that accounts for 25 to 30% of goals scored, that seems like a crazy thing. But in reality, there aren't that many coaches that are experts at it. Like Tony Pulis is an expert at set pieces, uh, maybe Sam Allardyce, and there are some others around. But a lot of the top clubs don't end up spending that much time on it. So so did this, did this develop into a situation where the manager of, of Michelin would be given essentially a computer printout and he was supposed to build his his tactics and his theory before the match around that. And was that then reinforced for him at half time? So if he was going to make any tactical changes or substitutions, etc., he was provided with um, analysis, analytics, numbers to back up the changes that should be made, whether that be tactically or, or in terms of personnel. Is that how it worked? Not really. It's much more of a discussion. We talk about the things that we found like, that we think are superior styles of play. So or... how do you get chance to discuss that within the game where there's limited time? We don't discuss it in the game at all. Uh, the only thing that we would do would be we would send a text at halftime to say this is what the, the first half stats look like and then we would send a text at full time. And most of the coaches that I've worked with actually thought that was useful because it gave them an idea of how to talk to the media afterwards to say whether they had a good game or a bad game. They kind of set the tone in that way. Do you think managers would embrace that, Jay? Get in the text at half time with the stats no. on, the ones that you've worked for? No, no. Um, uh, not enough anyway. I think one or two might be able to... No, it, it, Do you think they should? It, I think it's a focal point for some of them. Look, I've... Managers watch games anyway intensely and they'll know if the winger's not getting enough crosses in, the message is you need to start beating that man more and getting that ball into the box because there's not enough crosses coming in the box. Centre forwards would be the same thing. I used to play at Newcastle with Shearer. I've said it numerous times. used to go absolutely crazy at Robert and Solano if they didn't at least get, you know, three, four crosses in each you know, in each half. Um, but I suppose in, in that instance, if the text came and it was, look, you've only had two crosses into the box in this half, it, it's something for the manager to go to within his speech. Um, but I suppose if it's like a whole stats pack, it's, it, I don't know whether it's a little bit undermining. I don't know whether they would feel like, listen, this is it's my team. I know what's going on. I don't need you to to send me a load of numbers to tell me what's going on. Well, sure. And absolutely. Some coaches are that way. And other yeah. coaches want to have more information. So tell when me, you, tell when, me all when, the information. When you hear, Ted, a former England international, a player who played at the very highest level, make that case there, what do you say back as, as the guy who's providing the analysis? 
Jermaine had pretty good stats, by the way, back when he was like 25, 26. <laughs> he's, I always, always always he's, he's, always always, he's always told me that. He's always told me <laughs> Said that. Said you're a brilliant man. I've but, always liked but, but we saw the injuries started to, to have an effect. Yeah. And, you know, as the later years went on, the stats weren't quite as good. This is a fairly normal process, but nevertheless. Um, no, it's it's exactly that way. Like, we have to talk to people that are interested. And if, if we're talking to somebody that has no interest whatsoever, then there's not a point in doing it. But we're finding more coaches, and actually the next generation of coaches, I very much believe, are mostly the ones that we're talking to, to say, hey, this is what's possible. And more information for you, as long as you're comfortable and we figure out how to give it to you in a way that you like, is going to make you better. And it'll make you a, a more efficient worker in how you analyze the game. Video, they'll always watch and we'll never get away from it. But if we can give them a little bit better prep time or point out one or two things that they can have an edge in the game, that's going to give them more success. And they get excited about that. Might this work slightly lower down than at the higher level? And the reason why I ask that question is the further down you go, set pieces are more and more significant. If you get into League One and League Two, you'll find a higher number of goals scored from set pieces, corners, free kicks, etc., where the ball spends a lot more time in the air than it does maybe in a in a Champions League match, for argument's sake. Can you maybe find a more a more successful theory when you look at a game that would be played like that, as opposed to Barcelona versus Real Madrid, where you're not going to get to analyze the set pieces to the kind of levels that maybe you'd need to. Oh, you certainly can. And in fact, Sergio Ramos is an amazing header off of set pieces. And that probably doesn't come from from just, you know, getting lucky. But they I mean, don't need you to tell them that, do they? I mean, everybody knows that Sergio Ramos is a good header from a set piece because he scores so many goals. All right. Well, Atletico Madrid ended up winning the league and have had back or two years where they finished in the Champions League finals. And a lot of that is based on the fact that they end up being very, very good at set pieces. So we can see at the top level that it also has an impact. And also the delivery in those leagues and the athletes are often much better, but they don't spend as much time on it. And it goes all the way through football. It's from the top to the bottom. Anyway, Ted, go back to um, well, back in 2014. Brentford signed their informed midfielder. Is it Jota from the Spanish club in Celta Vigo? Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit more kind of the, in the part that Stats played in that signing? So one of the things about Brentford and the reason why they, they like the idea of stats is that they don't have very much money. <laughs> and so yeah. you're looking for, for a different perspective on, on how to find players and players you can afford. And so Brentford tend to cast a much wider net than, than the traditional English club, even, even going earlier. Uh, he was a fairly, he was quite a good player in a league that we thought was very strong. And we brought him over uh, on, on a pretty cheap yeah, a cheap fee. Uh, it was right before I came on board, so it would have been uh, a different group that that used uh, the stats. But he was definitely a stat signing, and it took some convincing. But obviously, I think uh, both seasons that he was at Brentford, he's been extremely good. I think Brentford fans are calling one of the best signings in the in the, in the club's history. I, I think Brentford fans have been pretty positive about a lot <laughs> of the quality of signings they've had over the last few years. But uh, you know, I might be biased. <laughs> is, is he the only one, or are there are there more? Well, the everybody that we signed in summer 2015 was was all based on statistics, and in fact, most of the work from even the last year. Uh, I left the the club in March of 2016, but my group had done all of the statistical research, and even like Enrico Henry, we did all the scouting for him. Um, uh, Sergi Canos, we did the scouting for him as well. He was on loan, and then he went to Norwich, but then he ended up coming back to Brentford uh, in the in the January window, and we thought he was a very promising young player. And sometimes it, it, we don't get rid of traditional scouting, though. We do a lot of traditional work. And in fact, you know, finding the U21 players is, is probably one of the biggest edges that those clubs and championship can find. So, so where did it all stop with Brentford? Why, I mean, if it was so successful and you managed you know, to produce players like Jota, why, why are you not there anymore? 
So there was a period where uh, there was some pretty serious cost cutting at the club. And because my group had mostly finished their work for the year, we were the one, uh, one of the sets that was made redundant. Also, they did a, a big, they basically cut the whole academy. And that was also in an effort to, to save money. Uh, Brentford typically are going to be in the bottom five of wage expenditure in the championship. Uh, and you can see that they're, they're still punching above their weight in where they finished in the league table. But for that period, for a year, they were kind of definitely making sure that they, they cut costs. But isn't that where you hold value? Because you, you, what your model does is it enables the, the lesser clubs to find better players for cheaper amounts, basically. I agree. By using I, stats. There are, you know, always things that happen behind the scenes in football clubs that aren't necessarily understandable. I have a very good relationship with the owner there still. And, uh, you know, I think we, we had a pretty good period there. See, when I, I look at it here, and, and Tim Sherwood's had his say on this, hasn't he? Because he said that analysis can't replace actually going to see a player. But from what I hear from you, though, Ted, you're not actually saying that that's the case. You're looking to add to that experience that, yes, you would encourage a manager to go and do his due diligence and, and scout a player in the manner that he would. But are you then providing more ammunition and more information to add to that process? You, you're not actually saying, don't do that, do it this way, but you're saying, do what you do normally, but I can add to it by giving you more information than you had before. Exactly. And and the biggest things for clubs is avoiding the transfer mistakes. Like if you if you light 25 million on fire or 30 million for a wide forward that doesn't fit your style and isn't very good, looking at a different North London club than we talked about earlier, that's expensive and that takes a lot of money in order to dig out of that. And Spurs have had some troubles finding wide forwards recently. That definitely wasn't a stats-based signing. We we panned it right from the start. And if you do that on a regular basis, you end up being relegated and we've seen that at other clubs too. So what are the options that you that you, that you give? Because it's, we're saying at the moment that the teams are making mistakes in the transfer market. But apart from a couple of lads at Brentford, we've, we've not seen a, a long list of people that you could say, well, look, he's one of mine, he's one of mine, we told them this, we told... How do you back up this belief that your statistics can help them be better in the transfer market without actually having a list of people that you've recommended and they've worked better than maybe the players that they might have taken? Well, my, my Twitter feed is, is is definitely one of those cases where we review sort of players and transfers and things like that. In the And we also have a, a podcast that we do uh, talking about whether moves make sense and also the value. Yeah, but a football manager is not going to put your podcast on or follow you on Twitter and no, say, well, I, don't I totally sign understand him. that. And, and you're exactly right. Like the, the guys that we signed at Brentford, we signed for more no, no more than £2 million. They've made significant transfer um, uh, surpluses over the last two, three years. And part of that's down to our work. I, I, you do your best, right? And there's always a question and an argument, but hopefully the due diligence is, is there and we can talk about whether guys look good, whether you should re-sign them, which is another big factor that the stats can come in to play with. Uh, you know, it's it, T- Ted, it's always an argument. What what did you mean by your Twitter feed? So I have a Twitter feed that, but, that exists uh, mixed nuts and we talk constantly during transfer season about... With who? Know, uh, to the public. Okay. <laughs> and we also have a, a podcast where we, we discuss Twitter moves, or sorry, transfer moves uh, in the transfer season. And you know, guys like Falcao we thought was not a good good signing for Manchester United. He went on to have a bad year at Fulham, or sorry, Chelsea, uh, largely based on the fact that he had a lot of goals that were scored off of penalties. And those weren't necessarily penalties that he earned. They were generated by other people. And that was a massive expensive move. But if I come back to that and say, but Falcao was coming back off his second serious knee injury... He was probably the most efficient striker in Europe before the injury, which had nothing to do with penalties. 
And in actual fact, he's had a couple of seasons at Manchester United and Chelsea where he was getting his sharpness back after the knee problem and now his knee's okay. He's rattling the goals in at, at Monaco once more in the Champions League. And missing loads of penalties, by the way. Yeah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be down to <laughs> analytics. That would be down to fitness. Uh, it's not just down to fitness, but that, that also plays a factor in how we analyse guys. And I don't think he was one of the most efficient finishers, but that's, again, a set of opinions that we can argue about. Well, I think he's played something like 49 European matches and he scored 43 goals. And, and not the bulk of those aren't penalties. The, the European matches are something that, that we don't typically look at. We look at the, the league level scoring. Well, if you take his league level of scoring and do his goals per game ratios at the club he was at, the clubs he was at before, he was, he was, he was, he was better than a goal every two games. He was good, but he was not a 70 million euro player, especially not coming off of a knee injury. But that's your, surely that's your opinion as to what that player would be worth. You can't, you can't dictate the transfer market if he's moving to a, well, that, a gigantic a, club who'll pay whatever they need to pay to get him. That's another issue as well. Again, it's part of advice. Well, say for you just said there he's not a £70 million player, OK? So what value would you have put on Paul Pogba, for example? Well, Pogba's a luxury player. Uh, very much the United wanted him and they, they would pay whatever they, they needed to pay. The challenge for, say, like those big clubs, though, like Chelsea and, and City both wanted centre-backs that were elite centre-backs, and they literally could not find a wage package or a transfer package that could get a guy like a Bonucci out of, out of Juventus. So it's not just about money these days. It's about finding talent that works for your club. Before, um, obviously, you go, we're going to get into some other stuff, but um, I heard recently you caused a, bit, caused a bit of a stir on Twitter about your comments about the Match of the Day pundits as well. <laughs> um, I, I, I do to have... bring that up. Well, I'm a match of the day pundit, so I want to know what the problem is. <laughs> I, I think that we can have uh, a, a discussion that I, I think our commentary could be a little more accurate. I think that's my opinion on that one. A little um, bit more accurate. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there are plenty of chances that that we say should be finished, or that's a an eight out of ten chance, and we look at it and say, actually, that guy finishes about three out of ten times from that position, and that's still a really good chance. But we're dramatically overestimating the likelihood of goals being scored uh, during the course of play. So if Alan Shearer looks at an opportunity that comes into the box, who scored what two hundred and forty-eight, whatever it is, he's probably going to ring me and say I've scored two sixty something. But um, <laughs> the amount of goals he's scored and the experience of actually standing in that box and understanding what that chance chance actually means and is, you look at that over what the stats are telling you. I think that Alan Shearer can add an expertise, especially about the technique and what might be going through the guy's head at that point. But we have a lot more accurate accurate information and a lot bigger data set about how those players score goals, or even how the Premier League works nowadays. Because it's not the same as it was when it was in Shearer's time. In terms of what? Because I could argue that the defending is a lot worse than it used to be in Shearer's time. Now, see, if we think the defending is actually worse, shouldn't we see a different amount of goals scored? Like, significantly more? Well, I mean, yeah, you probably could say that. But, um, you know, when you look at the, the, the top level of games now, there's definitely more goals going in, I would say, in the top, in the, in the top games than there used to be. That's because the, they have coaches that are willing to take risks to try and get three points as opposed to maybe grinding out a draw. Like the, the systems from a Klopp or, uh, or even a Pocatino, uh, obviously Pep, like they're pressing systems and they're willing to take risks in order to get the ball back and then keep on the attack consistently. Is, is, there, not a, is, is there not a slight difference here though, Ted, that, that what, the, what the pundits are saying is that they use the word should, i.e. should score that goal and you're, you're using the word would. So you're basing it purely on what he actually would do, and they're saying that at that level, that's what he should do. Is well, that I'm, the difference? I mean, there, there are plenty of times when, like, he's 
you say he should have scored that. Uh, and what that means, I don't know. But usually that means more than 50% of the time that goal should have gone in. Yeah, yeah but you're, you're, you're basing that on the fact that a player's maybe playing in the Premier League at a top level within a certain minute of the game, um, how important that opportunity was. You know, there's so many different variables that could, that go beyond just stats, you know, the, the, of why pundits would say, listen, he needed to put that into the back of the net or he should have put that into the back I, of the net. I think that's where we kind of started the discussion, Ted, that when you are analysing a baseball pitcher and a batter faces a left-handed pitcher from the same distance a hundred times, you get a genuine probability. But as Jermaine's just said, those chances could be at the different times of the game, different levels of tiredness, different stages of the season, different... Um, but that's why it comes down to an understanding yeah. of actually being in that situation, actually standing on that pitch and feeling what it, what that chance actually is and knowing it. As, As I said, I think yeah. there's an expertise that, that those guys can add. They're very rarely adding that in a way that, that makes the, it more interesting. It's mostly a cliche. Like Theo Walcott gets a ball on his left foot. It's on a volley and he's about... 10 yards out like how often does he actually score that in training we I've, could I've actually that. seen this chance on your website and he should score it <laughs> I've actually and he's, I, you know I don't he's, is it 10 yards he's, I think he's, he's I, I, think, I think the point is Ted for me for me to kind of buy in totally those variables would have to go that what you're you, that, that's that's what I'm kind of saying to you right at the start how confident are you that over the course of your analysis all of those variables that Jermaine and myself have mentioned are actually taken into account enough. So you're actually getting a clear picture other than a load of numbers added together, an average taken, where circumstances for every one of those situations were different. So we're able to, I mean, if you look at the the betting models, the, the guys that own clubs that have been betting with statistics for a long time, like a Brighton or a Brentford, they've made hundreds of millions of pounds based on the fact, and that allowed them to buy football clubs based on the fact that the statistics are more accurate there. And we found in general that we are more accurate in terms of avoiding mistakes in transfer market by using statistics than simply via the scouting process. So it is relative. Uh, we can also use tracking data to get a much more precise idea of with this number of defenders in between the the ball and the, the, the goal, that's much more accurate in how likely that goal was to be scored. But I'm pretty sure that Theo Walcott's left foot, having watched an awful lot of Arsenal games since 1998, <laughs> is not the best left foot in the league. Yeah, but that <laughs> doesn't take away. I'm pretty sure if you asked Theo Walcott, should you have scored that, he would say yes. You know, yeah, we're but talking about accurate? professional footballers here. We're not talking about, you know, no, no, no disrespect, but like a non-league footballer or a part-time footballer. We're talking about footballers that play, you know, day in, day out. Now, we miss chances. We make big mistakes as footballers, but we, we can sit there, look at an opportunity, come into the box, and say I should have scored that and that's all that pundits are saying they're, they're analysing it in terms of yes it's on the half volley yes it's on his weaker side but I'm a professional footballer and someone of Theo Walcott's quality should have put that into the back of the net and that's that's where I suppose what you were saying and in trying to really break down what the pundits say on match of the day um, well I can't agree with it well, fair enough. It's a that part of the interesting parts about media is that we're looking for interesting things to talk <laughs> about. And I think that's certainly something that would be more interesting. One thing that Ted couldn't say there, well, that's your opinion, because obviously it's based on statistics, isn't it? From t- <laughs> <laughs> there's opinion involved here, Ted. I just realised that. I thought your obvious answer to, to Jay there was, well, that's your opinion, but you can't say that. It's all <laughs> statistic-based. Ted, it's been fantastic having <laughs> yeah, you on. Ted, I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the insight. I mean, what, what, now you've heard that, what do you think? Are you, are you more convinced? Are you more sceptical? What do you think? 
I listen. You know the way the game's developed. I do believe there is a place for stats and uh, and figures within the game. And I think Ted's right in terms of the fact there are younger managers that are more susceptible and more um, mm. accepting of the fact that this is now becoming a part of the game. Point is, I mean. I just I don't see it getting right to the top. Statistically speaking, the fact that the clock says 21.04 and 43 seconds, that tells me statistically that Carissa Chatterton's got the news on five miles. <laughs> days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.